And I took a little break, a couple of weeks, and I was talking to different people. And this idea came to me. And it was like about bringing something that is not there and how companies can get the best out of people, but also how people can feel that they belong and that they are included in this. And that was the next element. And I somehow less knew that it might sound, you know, a little bit uh, kind of flowy, but I knew the universe was guiding me to this very moment in my life where I knew this was my calling. This is Found in the Rockies, a podcast about the startup ecosystem in the Rocky Mountain region, featuring the founders, funders, and contributors, and most importantly, the stories of what they're building. I'm Les Craig from Next Frontier Capital, and on today's episode, we have Andres Sigja, who is the CEO and founder of Tari. Welcome to the show, Andres. Good to see you. Thank you so much for having me, Les. Appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, re- really excited for you to share your story today. And I we're going to almost immediately dive into the name, where it comes from, and what you're doing, But because I, I, I've got some great questions there. But before we do that, tell us about you. Tell us about who you are, where you grew up, kind of, and what inspired you and took you on this journey to found this company. Yeah, certainly. Born in Ecuador a while back. I'm not going to reveal my age. <laughs> but- it came to the States probably 17 years ago. And the reason I came back, came to the States is because I was actually running away from the future that everybody had for me. My dad was a very successful engineer. And I had two older sisters that were an engineer, were engineers. And as the only boy and the youngest one, I had to be an engineer. <laughs> of course. So I went to engineering school and I had a midlife crisis at 18. <laughs> wow, that's a, that's soon. That's so yes. soon. <laughs> exactly. So so now that I whenever I will hit my midlife, I'll probably hopefully I don't have that midlife crisis then. Yeah, you'll realize that was just your quarter life crisis. <laughs> exactly. You skip over the midlife thing. Yeah. Certainly. So I did not like that. And I think it was, it had to do with really most of the way that I was kind of raised. My dad was very pragmatic, very engineer. And not to say that everybody's like that, but he was like that. Very black and white and not very, you know, warm. Had a great relationship and love him, but he was just very, you know, engineer-like. And I wonder if, it's funny that you mentioned that, because like my dad was an artist. And so he was the opposite of yeah. engineer, right? And then I became an engineer, I, you right. know, or, or a math and science guy. I wonder if, do you think that is kind of a, is that a parental thing that you think happens? Like, yeah. Generally? Now, let me tell you this, though. My mom, my parents were divorced. And my mom, whenever I told her, she was like, perfect. You are allowed to do whatever you want, but you have to do it on your own. So you can leave the house. And I was like, and I called my dad, you know, at 18, and I'm like, dad, my mom is kicking me out of the house. What do I do? And my dad is like, listen, whenever I was your age, I wanted to be a pianist. And my dad didn't encourage me to be that. So 
what I want you to do is be what you want to be, but just be the best at what you're doing. And, you know, and hence, you know, I believe that it was obviously had a massive playing in who I became and what I, the things that I've done in my career. But, you know, at the beginning, I was just figuring out. So I went to like, I actually studied music and a little bit of psychology. I'm a jack of all trades, Les. Yeah. Oh, I know you are. (laughs) (laughs) And as I was kind of doing that, I was like, okay, I need to find something that is real, that is actually going to make me money. I was living, you know, like kind of doing it on my own. And I was like, you know, business, that's an easy choice. I'm good with people. I love to communicate. And I think that I have a good eye for that, you know, and I always grew up doing these little entrepreneur ideas that every kid does, you know, selling lemonade, selling candy, and maybe even actually I had this business lesson. You're going to laugh that I, my, we had a friend that used to come from the States every couple of months and they, he will bring DVDs. That wouldn't be available in Ecuador. Uh, uh, so, I see where this is going. Yeah. I had this little business on the side, like, you know, at 12, that I would charge my friends like a couple dollars and we'll give them popcorn and soda and candy and a movie and we'll watch them. And I would get like five, eight kids every weekend. And <laughs> you had like your own AMC theater down in Ecuador. Exactly. Or maybe take it one step further. You were like, you pioneered Netflix before they started shipping DVDs <laughs> all over the world, right? That's it. Hey, miss opportunity. <laughs> maybe, yeah. <laughs> but anyhow, so, you know, so I went to business school and I was very fortunate to, you know, kind of have a lot of industry in experience in different industries from logistics to uh, consumer packaged goods. I worked for large companies like Target and then I moved to Pe- Pepsi. And in Pepsi, I was able to build my career. And I was very fortunate because I got into this program. They pay for my undergrad. And it was this fast track to management. And I was like, whoa, I made it. Being 10 years, I'll be the CEO of Pepsi. And <laughs> <laughs> and where were you at the time? So you moved, you left Ecuador at 18? Yes. That- I wow. Left. Yeah. And then you moved, where did you move? You moved to Arizona? Uh, I to moved Arizona? to Oklahoma. Oh, Okay. I, I assumed Arizona because that's where you are now. We'll yeah. get there. But I didn't realize. Okay, so you had a detour through Oklahoma. Tulsa? Tulsa, where, where yes. Tulsa. Yeah, okay. And it was, you know, a wild ride. I did it because a couple of friends have gone to school there. So it was like somewhat familiar. I knew some people and I knew some people from the church that I used to go that were there. So it was kind of like, you know, some say somewhat safe. And anyhow, I, you know, I was able to get in Pepsi and I, well, that was like, actually, I always tell people that was my first master's because I was so like, you know, really fortunate to go into different, you know, like positions throughout the company and shadowing executives from logistics, production, finance, marketing, operations, you know, in one of the largest companies of the world. and. You know, I was like, this is awesome. And I kept growing up in the career or kind of just developing until I found myself stuck. The middle level management role. And, and this is actually the beginning of Tari. Not because of what I could do 
of my skills, but the way that I looked, especially in that market in the Midwest. What what were you do? You were a, a sales manager. Yes, exactly. So you're a mid level sales manager. What what did they have you working? Like, were you working on mostly Latin American accounts or? How? That's what they hired me. So whenever they hired yeah. me this program, they offer me and it's like, hey, we are looking to develop the Hispanic uh, accounts throughout the United States. You're perfect fit. Do you want to choose Miami, New York, couple places? And I was like, well, you know, I was married by that. By then I was married and I'm like going still to school. So I'm like, no, this is a good fit. So yeah, I was developing the Hispanic accounts in the Midwest. I see. And so, so you're probably, so you saw this as a, as potentially, unfortunately, a ceiling for you. Yeah, certainly. Because, you know, and I'll tell you, as again, I, I have no chip in the shoulder on this element. My wife is American. My in-laws are American. My wife was born here. But it was like very frustrating because I just couldn't move forward. Not because, again, of my skills or what I could do for the company, but just because of how I looked. And there was a, a team of, Three of us, one was an African-American guy, another was a female that she had some Asian background, and myself, the Latino guy. And the three of us left at the same time. And, you know, and what is funny, and maybe this won't go on the podcast, but, you know, Pepsi is known as the most diverse companies in the world, but maybe not back then. So... Or, or maybe not in that specific, Correct. you know, unfortunately, that business unit or business function, like it's difficult to have uniformity in terms of, you know, how your policies are, how overreaching, you know, your culture is like when you get big, it's hard, right? It's hard. Yes, to, we, certainly. Hard to and yes, I, I, I agree with you, Les. I think you had to do with the market, you know, again, very traditional, very, you know, like, you know, just that was their reality. And and there was no interest for them to, for the market director to move forward. So anyway, so I decided, you know what, am I the, you know, the tail of the lion or the head of the mouse? <laughs> what a good, I love it. You know, and I'm like, yeah. hey, why I have a lot of potential. I know that I can achieve a lot. And, you know, I have been fortunate, maybe go back to my mom was in a sense a single mom, but she raised the three of us to be the best at what we were doing. And and very, you know, sometimes a little bit into the perfectionist element, which it, there is another kind of worms, maybe there is another episode. <laughs> but but I'm, I always t- took the best out of that. And I was like, you know, I I grew up with a very... A lot of confidence, a lot of self-worth, and I knew that I could do better than that. So I just decided, you know what, I'm going to do something better. And I went to a smaller company that it was in the manufacturing space. And I didn't know anything about that. And Is I, this where you got your second master's degree? <laughs> no, that's where I implemented my first. Oh, okay, okay, <laughs> and I'll tell you this, Leslie, because it's funny, because this guy that was a friend of a friend reached out to me. He's like, hey, you have a lot of experience in enterprise and you could help us, you know, put some processes and procedures in these and blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, yeah. So I'm like, what do you sell? And he's like, ovens and fryers. And in my head, you know, that was it. I went to another world and I'm like, I'm selling appliances. 
I don't think. And he's like, no, 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 no. Come to the factory and you will see. And of course, it was industrial size, like for McDonald's, for large corporations, massive things, you know, that are like capital equipment, one, two, three million dollar, you know. Machine. Yeah. Fryer, fryers that cost more than like my house, basically. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and he's like, you know, so anyhow, so I went to that company and I was in charge of business development for Latin America. And, you know, grew up that puppy from really very little to like a very large company, implemented a little process, developed a, a big distribution, you know, kind of network. And, uh, you know, everything that I learned in Pepsi, I was able to apply it in. And that and, must have felt pretty good. Did it, I mean, did you feel like that was a really great win professionally for you? Yes, it was. It was because, you know, it wasn't what I wanted to do in the sense, but I knew that it was a step towards what was next. And, you know, the company became really profitable, big, and then they exit. And, and I felt that I had a lot of play in that exit. But as that was happening, the acquisition was happening, I went to a trade show in Mexico and I met this German guy and he was, you know, the distributor in Mexico was representing a bunch of companies and this other company that this German guy was working, it was like the creme of the creme. You know. It was like the Ferrari of Friars. Yes. Yeah. Well, it was actually. No, it wasn't Friars. I know. <laughs> Whatever it but was. In the manufacturing. Exactly. Got it. And, and he saw me and he came to me and he's like, I want you to work with me. Wow. And I called my wife and I'm like, hey, this crazy German just. <laughs> and my wife starts crying. And she's like, I don't know. And I'm like, why are you crying? It's like, I just felt in my heart that we're going to move. Oh, uh, and she and you guys really were in love with Oklahoma. Like life was no. good. And, oh, no, no. no. We were ready. We were ready, ready to move. Oh, so it was tears of joy. It was yes, tears. Exactly. Oh, okay. I got but it. But I think also the unknown. Oh, you know, if, if we have been in Oklahoma for a little bit. Anyhow, uh, so the next day I met, I met with him at breakfast and he's like, pa, 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 pa. He's like, I want this. I see this. And you could replace me in the next five to six years replace him yeah be like run the company yeah wow what an opportunity yeah so i was like yes let's do it where do i sign and you know i'm telling you a little bit like or of course of the nice part because there is always good well, and there's oh we know this yeah <laughs> of course andres we know this yes and then, well, I'm going to try to make it shorter because I know that I'm a talker, Les. You talk. It's great. To and we love to talk. That's what the show is all about. Storytelling. We love it. And then, you know, we moved there and they treated us like kings and queens. There, and it, Phoenix? Is this how you got no, to Phoenix? We are Phoenix. We, we moved to Connecticut. The other Phoenix of the Atlant Mid-Atlantic of <laughs> Connecticut. Yeah. Connecticut. Okay. And, you know, completely different. Oklahoma is like all flat. Connecticut, yep. these old trees, little mountains. And it was a great experience. Good, good learning experience. I was traveling all over the world. I was, I don't know, 28, making more money than I ever made in my life, living a very different life. But in contrast, Les, I was very disconnected to real reality because, you know, my marriage wasn't doing well. And my, we weren't 
you know, like I was gone 60, 70% of the time living in hotels. And I was like, I don't think this is the life that I want, you know? And did, it, did you ever think when you left Ecuador that 10 years later, you'd be working for this German guy in Connecticut? Like, <laughs> no, like no. you probably had no idea that it would ever go that route. Right? No, not at all. Not at all. You know, and I told my wife whenever we were just dating that I had the desire of living in New York or close to New York one time in my life. So we were like 20 minutes from the city. So that was, you know, because I was flying all, all, always, I had to be there. So for us, you know, a date night was in the city. And it was a great experience. And, and trust me, I, I am very appreciative for all the adventures and all the good things. You know, we were able and very fortunate to travel all over the world together and do things. But again, in hindsight, it was just, the, it was the journey. It was part of it until, you know, we were kind of going to the next. So long story short, wife and I weren't doing, you know, the best and she wanted to have a family. And so did I. And she's like, listen, I want to move to closer to my parents. And I'm like, where are your parents? And like, they're in the mountains in Arizona, but we could move to Phoenix. I'm like, Phoenix? Oh no, you know, I've been there once. And I'm like, I, I, I'm, I'm a fan of big cities. I grew up in the capital, like, you know, sounds and the concrete jungle and things. And she's like, let's, let's go and see. But in that moment, Les, I knew that like it was a, a pivotal decision in my, really in my life. Because it was like, do I pursue this career where I can be the CEO of this massive company, you know, by maybe 35 and maybe, you know, live in Europe or different things, but do it all alone. Or do I give my time to give? Because my wife has always supported me in my career and encouraged me to do what I wanted to do. Wow. What a juncture. What a decision point. Uh, you know. So I, what happened? What happened? Well, <laughs> I, I was like, you know what? Let's do it. Let's go to Phoenix. And I knew in the bottom of my heart that this was me saying to the company, sorry, but this is not working out. Even though we agreed on a contract that I could move anywhere in the world as long as there was a bigger. But still, you know, it, it's different because at that point also remote work wasn't as welcome as now, you know. It was like office every single day and, you know, things like that. So move here and I was like disconnected from everything. And, you know, you have been in Phoenix. Phoenix is a massive city. So big that it's like, it takes, you know, 30 minutes to get to anywhere you actually need a car. And I'm like, who do I know? I don't know anybody here. Uh, so I decided, you know what? I think maybe I should develop my education. Can I go maybe just and connect? And I looked at WP Carey from ASU. And I was like, you know, good school. Let's look it up. And then somebody from Thunderbird reached out to me. And I'm like, Thunderbird, what is that? It's like, come check it out, see. And again, one of those things that changed the course of your life. I went to this kind of, it was this opening, this kind of like a meeting for, to, for new people, you know, as an advisement and stuff. And I went and I was like, this is it. 
And and I don't know if you're like a little bit of the Thunderbird, what it is. You... What tell tell our listeners? I'm I'm vaguely familiar with yeah. it, but tell give it a good plug because I think it's a great program. Yeah, certainly. Global, Thunderbird you know. is the number one school of global management in the world, and it's funny that in the U.S. is not very known, but internationally is one of the most recognized schools. So and it's right there in Phoenix. Yes, it's right, it's right there in Phoenix. Exactly. So, you know, and they were like transitioning to downtown Phoenix because they were in Glendale where there was a base, you know, like a actual Air Force base or something like that. Anyhow, so I did it because it just felt the right fit for me. They talk about this ability to connect with other cultures, your ability to just maybe see what others don't see, appreciate diversity and you know one piece kind of fell after the next and then I was like this is it let's do it so I went to Thunderbird and as I told you it was one again another decisions that transformed my life because I was like okay I'm gonna go you know and I didn't do it for the education I did it for the connections I knew that if I did this program I would be you know kind of rubbing my elbows with CEOs, CFOs from large companies. And I was the youngest in my program. Oh, wow. Uh, That's fun. But there was a lot of entrepreneurs in there. There seems to be a trend here. I bet you were pretty much the youngest in whatever you were doing, like from the time you came to the US, right? I mean, yeah, I yeah. guess, I guess, I guess so. I guess, yeah, it is, it is. You know, and again, you know, I have never think of myself that I'm like, you know, these, well, I actually do. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, in the sense of like, I try to be very, very, very humble, but also like understand that the value that I have that on, not only comes from, and I try to be a very a spiritual person to go beyond that. And I drive my perspective and my self-worth, not in my skills, but in who I believe I am rather than what I can do. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. Do you want me to go a little bit deeper? Hey. <laughs> I think that was great. I think that was a great plug. And so you finished the program. Yeah. You did, but you did it. You did the program like more like an executive MBA style. Right? Was, executive. Was, yes, executive yeah. MBA. And because I got exposed to entrepreneurs, it kind of got me interested in it. And I was like, oh, so here's where the spark comes. Huh? Yeah. And and this yeah. friend of mine, he was like, he was he had his own businesses, and you know he will like travel, and he wasn't flashy by any means. He was very humble, very liked by people, but I could see joy and peace out of his just coming out of him. And again, I'm not saying that entrepreneurship brings peace by any means. <laughs> I think it actually disturbs that. But but he was pursuing his calling. And that's what it drove me. So I was like, hey, teach me about these. How do you do it? You know, and it was so interesting because even though I have worked for large companies, I realized that I didn't know anything about business until I am actually developing and building my own business. Mm. Interesting. And so were you, you were working, you had a job in Phoenix that you were working while you were getting this program, but you had not, you had yet to start Tari. Yes, actually, I, I Tari, it just started like in the last year and a half or so. I started with the all these things that you could think of less. I wanted to just test it because I was like, you know what? I need to diversify my income. 
let's start with something that is like low entry point, maybe easy. And I opened a food truck. Oh, oh interesting. And this, there is a story behind why. I'll tell go, go ahead. So, so your first taste of entrepreneurship was not starting a tech company. Nope. It was actually dipping your toe. And I like that. I think you're the first founder we've had on the podcast that, that kind of got, got bit by the bug or the idea of entrepreneurship, but didn't go all into the current thing right yeah. out of the gate. Yeah, certainly. And, and, and it was more actually, you know, to be transparent, it wasn't just because I wanted to become an entrepreneur. I was like, okay, I'm at, you know, early 30s, need to start thinking about, okay, how I build wealth in my life, blah, 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 this and that. And less it happened that, you know, this, it was actually moving forward. It was making some revenue. And this German company called me. It was the week of Thanksgiving. I, re I remember very well. We were going to Colorado for Thanksgiving to see family. And the CEO calls me. It has been my best year with them. Make them millions of dollars. And he calls me and he's like, hey, just want to let you know this is not working out. We're going to let you go. And out of the blue, you did not see this coming. No. Wow. Uh, and I asked him, I'm like, why? And he's like, you know that I'm not in any obligation to tell you why. And I'm like, yeah, but I expect more of these. Anyhow, through the grapevine, I heard that I was making too much money. <laughs> you were doing too good at your job, Andres. Sorry, we, exactly. gotta, we don't have room for high performers like you. Well, you know, the, the, what I see is these, and again, it might be applicable to other you know, companies, is the fact that there was no strings. There was no nothing because they offered to pay for my master's degree. And I said, no, that it was my decision and nobody had any ability or say in what I did in my career. So obviously they told me that they will pay, but I'll have to commit with four years or repay it. And I'm like, no, that doesn't work. So oh, they didn't have, this, have the hooks in. Exactly. Okay. So anyways, and you know, but because of I had an amazing contract, they had to pay me for nine months. Mm -hmm. So I was like, in, so in that moment, I was like, okay, this is full entrepreneurship. Let's go. And I was really building it. And this little business less in our the food truck, the food truck, it pulled like, I don't know, again, you know, and I know it's like little numbers, but it was my first business. It was like $300,000 the first year. Wow. I mean, that's, that's incredible. Yeah. You know, and we're talking about markups of like, Almost a SaaS company. We were pulling 60, 55. <laughs> I know SaaS companies that don't even do that well, but that, we won't talk about today. Oh my gosh, oh. that's amazing. So, so, so you run in this, so you basically went all in on the food truck. And then did you think like, this is going to be it? I'm going to launch a fleet of these. We're going to take over some cities. Like, what was the plan? No, no, no. It, it was like, I saw the potential, but also... Again, I have always, I think, you know, and I believe that one of the skills that I've been giving or the gifts is that I see very far ahead. And, and I didn't see that as something that can be scalable in the way that I wanted to scale a business. Because like, you know, like even though it's different than a restaurant, it falls under the same category in the sense that you're married to that business. 
that it's, it, you know, it doesn't scale without you. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to keep it as a lifestyle business until the next thing comes up. And I was, I kind of did a little stint at an early stage startup, just learn what not to do. <laughs> good. It Always good to get that time. under your belt so you don't do it on your own dime. Exactly. Or somebody, <laughs> your investor's time, right? Exactly. Yeah. Best valuable lesson that I learned. And then I lost count of all these different degrees you're earning. And there's another one right there. I know. I, <laughs> exactly. But so, and then I was like doing, and this friend of mine, you know, so I kind of started that little small consultancy company. I was just doing some work for the, for the city of Phoenix with some projects. So in this, in the kind of food area, had some projects in there that kind of like intertwine. So I had, you know, things running and obviously COVID hit and things kind of died down, but the food truck was still producing. We were, you know, in this place where kind of, there was a lot of time for me to see and kind of design the life that I wanted to build. And and this friend of mine calls me and I'm actually going into the element of Tardy. This friend of mine calls me and he was like early 2021 and he worked for a Fortune 500 and he's like, hey, you are always, and he actually, I'll tell you a funny story. We went together to grad school and he saw the food truck and he wanted to invest in us. <laughs> And I'm and like, you no, told them, this is not the business you want to invest on. <laughs> <laughs> you you told them stick to the education because you're not going to be a good investor if you want. <laughs> 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 so, <laughs> so I'm like, no, no, no. There, there might be another time. And anyhow, so we start, you know, just talking. And he calls me. He's like, you're you always are creative and things of ideas. And he's like, I know you're not into like you're not a technical person, but I would love to ask you if you want to help me build something. I'm like, what do you mean? It's like, you know, my people are just burning out. We're working 12, 14 hours a day, and I just don't know what to do. And I'm like, do you want me to build it with you or do you want me to build it for you? And he's like, no, let's build it together. And, you know, we start kind of just talking, just two guys, you know, talking every night just over, over the phone. It was like really like dreaming. Imagine if this and imagine of that, you know, and it came the time where we were like, okay, I think this is an actual interesting idea. Uh, and I, you know, kind of validated, I talked to a bunch of people, different levels, different cultures. And the question was, what will be the one thing that you will do to improve employee well-being? And 80%... that was the, that was the focus point, the problem statement. Yes. Basically. Okay. And, and I was talking, you know, to different like operations, finance. And 80% of people said fewer meetings. Fewer and, meetings? Yeah. And I'm like, okay. Definitely. I'm like, why? <laughs> and, you know, so I, I started to yeah. really start digging into this. One, I'm peeling the layers. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, meetings are the number one driver for burnout and workplace inefficiency. And that was... 20, 2021. I just saw a report but, from Microsoft. Sorry. I was going to say, but the boss is telling us meetings are how we get things done. So, <laughs> like, well, uh, not really. Yeah. Now, I'll tell you, I'll tell you my perspective. I didn't hate meetings, but I hated the ones that made me travel to New York four hours, 30 minutes 
whenever I could have just gotten an email. I hated ineffective meetings, not good meetings. Yeah. Because, yeah, right. If you plan, if you have an agenda, if you have like structure and you have time constraints too, right? Exactly. exactly. Then you can be efficient with your time and it's like you can get out of the meeting and get to work. 100%. And that's where actually the name of my company comes in. I didn't want to just name it cool meeting or no meetings or things like that. I, I think want... coolmeetings.com is available if you want. I got it on <laughs> GoDaddy it. right now. Yeah, or if you want that, no. $100,000. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so tell us the name. Yeah, so so you so you decided to name the company. Yes, Tardy. And Tardy, it actually means gathering in Quechua, which is the language that the Incas used to speak. And as, you know, as I really transform into this new version of myself, I became very, not to say that I wasn't, but I became very proud of my background and who I was. And becoming a, a parent also made me realize the importance of sharing, you know, and leaving that legacy not of what is next, but also what was. And I wanted to have a story and, you know, it actually comes up and it's perfect. And I didn't even plan it for this, but people ask me, what is the name? And I'm like, it means meetings. And people are like, whoa, so cool. Now, let me tell you this though, that because it's a very ancient language, as any ancient language, it has a deeper meaning. So the deeper meaning of it is bringing things to the way that they were intended. Oh, wow. That's deep. Yeah, because meetings is a very superficial. It's like, what is that even like? Oh, we're going we're gonna to have a meeting. Oh, people in a conference room are going to you know, sit around a table. Like I get a very like superficial feeling when I hear the word, meet, word meetings. Yep. But sorry. Much deeper. Yeah. So, but also I took out a lot of that element. In the sense, and that's where my, my, this perspective of meetings comes in the sense that meetings have been happening since the very beginning of humanity. Meetings where community happens. Meetings is where decisions were made. Meetings is where the constitution was written. Meetings were, are where we know each other, we will get to know each other. So meetings right. are not bad. No. It's about common understanding, right? It's about vulnerability, exposing vulnerabilities so that you can reach, you know, more of a uh, more common ground. I mean, yeah, like that's, 100%. that's the way it should be. Exactly. So meetings, if you see it in a sense, they are not bad. We are the problem. Mm. Humans, aren't we always the problem? Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> but also we're the solution. We are the solution. So if. In my research list that I did empirically, which again, there was a bunch of research already available, that's where actually kind of helped me to get, take the next step. Only 15% of managers are the ones trained into have, how to have meetings. Interesting. Why, why and how, like, why is that or how is that? How are managers trained? Like, where does that come? The right training. I, I guess... That's for somebody to reveal the, 
Because they get lucky. Like, they, they discover the way. 15% just happened. Find the way. Yeah. Through so, experience. So think okay. about this list in an organization that has, I, I was talking to this organization, they have 6,000 people. 800 of them are managers. Mm-hmm. So only 15%. What is that? One, 15% of the 800? 120. Yeah, so, 120, yeah. Only 120 people in a 6,000 people organization know how to have meetings. The rest, well, if, if I'm an employee, I hope I roll the dice and get hit one of those 120. Exactly. The rest Man. don't know. The rest don't have yeah. an idea. And the problem is that we are perpetuating this cycle. And COVID really elevated this element where you can just book a meeting with one click. Mm-hmm. So, in so the you know, I saw some of these platforms make your meetings better, make your, but how can you make something that is systematic wrong, systemically wrong, better? You can't. Yeah, can't do it. So, what you have to do is even talk about meetings or whatever. You have to see what is wrong, remove it, mm. and then train people in how to follow the right patterns and the right practices. So this is Taris. This is the secret sauce. This is what you do, what the platform does. Yes. Can you walk us through? I mean, it's, it's a, it's, you know, it seems simple, but at the same time, it also seems like a wicked problem. <laughs> Certainly. Like, I love the simplicity and the elegance of the approach, though. It's yeah. Very cool. So now there is a, a second version of it, and I'll tell you, but the first version... I know we're going to go there. I, <laughs> I knew. Yeah. Uh, so for us, it's like, so I connected to the actual, with the world's most renowned meeting scientist, and I pitched him the idea. What's his name? Can we put, like, his LinkedIn profile in the show notes? That's amazing. <laughs> That's incredible. I didn't even know there was such exactly, a person. Exactly. Me neither. It, I know. It's super cool. <laughs> And there is really, there is three of these people in the yeah. world sure. that, that have done their master's PhD and doctorate on all of these elements. And I asked him and I'm like, listen, you go to these large companies, you do, you know, kind of trainings and these, let's be honest, you go and everybody loves these. And if you could measure, you know, meetings, they are at all time here and they go down, 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 and you leave. And what happens after a week? And he's like, yeah. they go back up. And I'm like, yes, because that's human behavior. Because we are creatures of habit. Yep. And we go back to our default. Yep. Unless there is something that is constantly with us and that keeps reminding us in a non-intrusive way how to address something that is inherently wrong. Takes time to recondition human yep. beings. Yes. So anyhow, so we decided, you know, and that was again, you know, without coming from this element of understanding humans to the core, I knew that easily you cannot just build a platform and uh, assume that everybody's gonna get onboarded or do different things just because they love what you're doing. So in my head, I was like, okay, let's hop onto the most used platforms. And we run on the background and people just do the things that they do in the normal way. And we address that problem asynchronously and then we teach them how to do it. 
And that's where, you know, really we started and we decided. So we trademarked this term called meeting a score. Because again, what you cannot measure, you cannot grow. So coming from this perspective that there has to be a better way to do something. That's what kind of drove me to do Tardy and to build cool. it. So kind of like the gamification. So like I can see what my meeting score is. I have different metrics, probably some different, different quirks of, you know, how I shared the mic, how I, you know, I, I'm not, a, I'm not the world's premier meeting scientist, but I'm, <laughs> you know, trying to play one on this podcast, but I assume there's like ways I can track my progress. And then that I, I through those metrics, I, my meeting score, I strive to get a higher meeting score sort of over time. Is that yes, certainly. So yeah, so that's the problem. So we take a, and I came with this, you know, kind of four step approach. One is awareness because you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. If you're on the highway and you don't see a speed sign, you go 90 because everybody's going 90. <laughs> this is true. So we're not advocating for felony speeding on Found in the Rockies, but yes, this happens. <laughs> exactly. <honest. laughs> so awareness is the first step and creating this consciousness of, hey, maybe you should actually see this pattern. So we actually are not just combining patterns on the best practices of meeting, but how that's applicable to a business case. And let's be honest, what, what does a business, what is the business number one objective? Make I mean, more money. Yeah, yeah, revenue. Revenue. So for us, it's like, okay, how about if we actually combine the actual amount of time of meetings, the actual amount of waste to cost? Mm-hmm. Because that's what actually creates people urgency to transform something because Sometimes time is. Oh, yeah. On the other end of it, it's really, yeah, it's really like profitability, right? So if like we're driving revenue or outcomes, but we're also driving down costs, sure. And quantifying interest. Yeah. Quantifying yeah. That, the cost of a meeting. Yeah. I bet it's eye opening people when they're like, wow, that meeting just cost us a hundred grand. <laughs> Was it driving at least that much in, you know, in an outcome? Probably not. Yeah. I mean, hopefully it did. But yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Well, yeah. So now. Can I tell kind of then what happened next? Yeah, please. So as we were going into market with these, everybody was interested, but we weren't getting much traction. Hmm. And I'm like, okay, why? (laughs) We are solving this massive problem. It's like meeting efficiencies next to world hunger. Like, (laughs) you know? And it occurred to me, Liz, the exact same thing. We can solve world hunger. We just don't want to do it. And in the same way, we know our meetings are terrible and we're spending thousands and millions of dollars in these, but we just don't want to do it because we have come across to this understanding that meetings is this necessary evil to be in corporate America. And, and I saw a couple of businesses that kind of came at the same time as us going down. And I saw some of their posts and they were like, yeah, we just couldn't find champions to support this. So it occurred to me, the problem that we're solving is too big. And there was no budget. 
nor a leader. Well, no, yeah, no stakeholder, right? No like internal champion to yep. say like, we're going to write a check and we have budget for this and this is a problem which our business unit or whatever is trying to solve. So what did you find? So how did you find, how did you find your way there? Well, so as I was talking and, you know, I was like, not crash, but I was like, okay, there has to be something. So I spoke with one of our advisors and he's like, he's always been big about category creation and just kind of focusing on a niche and then like becoming the best at that. Kind of like my mom reminding me of my mom, <laughs> be the best at that and then grow you know, kind of go grow deeper first and then go wide. And he asked me, and we had a very honest and, and open conversation. He's like, walk me through your product roadmap. What is it that you want to do? And I was like, listen, I believe that efficiency is, a, is, is a one of the top things that are, you know, kind of this meeting inefficiency is one of the biggest elements that corporate America is fighting with. But in my heart, I knew that there it wasn't that wasn't the goal. And I told him, and I'm like, it might sound strange, but I know that there is something farther than this. And he's like, okay, so what did, what what are the things that you wanted to build? I'm like, well, you know, I have been in meetings that I just couldn't participate, just because again how I looked, and I seen people that never talk, not because they don't have great ideas, but just because they are maybe a little shy and be mm. because there is always yeah. the same You're afraid of getting interrupted. That's another exactly. thing that happens. Yep. With women, particularly, I think it's, it's women and diverse groups have a high, have a greater tendency to get interrupted in 50 meetings. percent more. Yeah. And so it's like, I'm not, it's better just to remain quiet, right? Exactly. Then I'm not going to get interrupted. Yeah. So, so, you know, and I'm still in this element of meetings and he's like, that's it. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, why don't you focus on these and build a, cat, a, a category that focuses on these? And I was like, okay, I need to do some soul searching. You know, I have invested a lot of time, money, and effort in these, and I don't know about one activity. And I was like, you know, kind of took a little break, a couple of weeks, and I was like talking to different people. And this, this idea came to me. And it was like about bringing something that is not there and how we can make the best out, how companies can get the best out of people, but also how people can feel that they belong and that they are included in this. And that was the next element. And I somehow less knew that it might sound, you know, a little bit kind of flowy, but I knew the universe was guiding me to this very moment in my life where I knew this was my calling. And I don't know if you recall that or, or what I was telling you about this friend of mine that I knew that he was in peace. That's how I felt whenever I knew that this was what I wanted to build. And again, you know, is this element of representing not only my people, but everybody that hasn't had a voice before and giving them and, you know, I, like I got an, a little interview and they asked me like to kind of just give some comments. And I was like, I wanted to do something, you know, that is like a little dramatic. And I was like, a seat at the table is not enough. We need a voice now. And that's where we decided to build this new category that we're calling it meeting equity. Where 
everybody has a chance to contribute, to feel that they belong and that their opinions matter. And at the same time, the gain is, yes, in the organization, but you're getting people engaged. You're getting people that contribute better ideas. But also, let's, you know, let's be honest. We spend 50% of our time in meetings. And if meetings are done correctly, is the best vehicle for inclusion. However, if they are not considered, meetings is where, you just said, interruptions, microaggressions, sexually or racial comments that are not appropriate happen because that's how we collaborate. So how about if we can build a solution that actually keeps people not in check, but actually brings this awareness that meetings should be the best place that we bring this ideal inclusion in an organization. It's such a, such a focused application and focused solution to improving diversity, equity, and inclusion. I, I don't think I've heard of one out there that is more focused on like an actionable result. It's, it's really brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. And again, you know, I could share, I could say, yeah, it's my idea, but it was like, again, you know, I will attribute it to, to all these people in my life, but also, you know, really being just open to what the, the universe was putting in front of me. And also, you know, these conversations with people, because as you see, you know, COVID kind of catapulted DEI to being, become a priority in organizations. But if you go on the other side and talk to finance or operations and CEOs, most of them dislike DI, not because they are not for it, but because it has not brought any return and there is no way of measuring or monitoring its progress. Mm -hmm. Such a humble guy, by the way. Just keep, you know, I, I don't know what it is about. I, there's. I've had a bunch of Arizona founders on the show and you're all so incredibly humble and you're all like denning the universe. And it's like, you know, it wasn't really my idea. Just kind of, I feel blessed that it came to me. It's like, come on, Andres, <laughs> take some credit. This is amazing. You're on this unbelievable path that you are chartering. Like, this is you. Yes. It's awesome. Yes, I do. But that's why, you know, that's where it yeah. comes in because I, I believe that you know, as, and maybe I go into a little bit this element, I have this, really this perspective of the, you know, the year and the young in the sense that yeah. you are unique, you are special. There is nobody in the world like you, mm -hmm. but in the other side, you're one of 9 billion people. Yeah. So important. Important. I think that there is this healthy balance of bringing both in the sense that you are nobody but also you are the only you that can actually do this. Mm -hmm. And this is where I am at this very moment and for this time. Yeah, amazing. What's kept you going? Like, who do you have? Is there a person or a mentor or, you know, a book? Or what is what keeps you going when things get hard or when you need inspiration or, or just on this entire journey you've been? You know, that will be another podcast, but... <laughs> You know, next I, season, we'll have you yeah, back and you can tell us all about your inspiration. Yeah. Too. Well, I guess to be short, this is my, the calling that I have. I think that that's, you know, above, beyond anything that it, it is important because I know that 
it is my time and that I'm in this very moment in the history of the universe to do what I'm supposed to do and that nobody else can do it but me. So I take that responsibility and I embrace it, uh, but also it's my responsibility towards my wife, my daughter, and the people that have believed in me to do this. And last but not least, is my responsibility to the ones that want to be heard and the ones that want to have a voice and that haven't had the opportunity. So here I am giving that opportunity to them through a solution that can create some this awareness and help organizations become a more inclusive and just place that embraces differences and embrace different things. Yeah, amazing. What can we do? What can uh, what can our listeners do if they they like what they hear and they say, you know, I the, Tari sounds like I need this. We need this. What can they do? Like, what's the best way to get started? Is it you know go to the website and learn more? Is it you know what what's the process for you to getting more people on the platform? Yeah, certainly that does a good way. We try to like our our process of selling process is top down. In the reason why, because we. There has to be a buy-in from leadership. In, it cannot be an initiative that comes in from somebody in middle level because they, there has to be a, an understanding and awareness and a consciousness and a belief that this is what they want to do. So for us, it's very important to explore if the organization is a good fit for what they what we're doing and how they can benefit. You know, I, I was doing a, a demo and I was I have, was having one of our interns and he's like, but you spend all the time asking them questions. You talked just the last two minutes about 30. I'm like, yeah, because my, that's our goal is understanding what people need and how we could fit that special need, not to sell what we're doing. Right. Interesting. What, you know, just on a personal note, I was curious, you know, just balancing being a husband, being a father and being a founder, any tips for other founders out there that are in a similar situation of achieving that balance in their lives and, you know, building a successful company while raising, raising a family? Yeah. Well, you know, I guess balance is a, is a very broad term in the sense that like balance is balance 50-50 or is balance 80-20, you know, it's like. Who decides? I think that, you know, resources, energy, and time are, are not infinite. They're finite. So I guess if there is one advice is just be present. Be present in, in that specific moment, even if these, you know, the five hours that you give your business and the one hour that you give to your wife and the two hours that you give your daughter, make it count. Don't just go through the motions, but make it count because that's what people remember is not the quantity is the quality and how you make them feel and how they know that there is nobody else in the world in that very moment them andre so many good so many good pieces of today's cast some great quotes some great thoughts some great inspiration such an inspirational story i'm so thankful i gotta say that you did not become an engineer because i think the world is definitely a better place because of your journey from Ecuador and that has led you to starting this amazing company. And I'm thankful for our gathering today here on the podcast with all of our listeners out there for Pound in the Rockies. 
So I just want to thank you for, for your time today. And to conclude, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about where they can find you and Tari online? Yeah, certainly. Well, first, thank you for this opportunity. I think that for me, I always, if there is a, an opportunity to share my story and what we're doing, it's I'm just doing justice to the cause and the vision that we have with the company. So I appreciate this and I'm very thankful for this opportunity. So, And then you can find us at our website is www.tari. Let me spell it. It's T-A-R-I-Y dot A-I. And you can book a call with me and we will walk you through a demo understanding your, your pain points and how an EVAR solution is a good fit for your elements. I think that, you know, for us is a, is a very important thing is like how we help leaders quantify some elements, but ultimately the goal for us is how we make the people that make the organization better and feel more welcome, more appreciated, more just present at the organization. So anyhow, thank you. Such an amazing guest, Andres. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Found in the Rockies. You can find links in the show notes or go to nextfrontiercapital.com to get transcripts, links, and contact information for today's guests. If you like what you heard and want more, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to get notified as our new episodes drop every two weeks. We'll see you next time. Thank you.